Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com slash easter24. Jesus called people to come and die, right? Like he called them to pick up their cross. He, he called them to leave their families behind. We, we have to like recognize biblically that like this is not something that's foreign to the Christian life. It's not something that should surprise us that Jesus at points would call us to make decisions in light of the mission that are relationally difficult. Welcome back to the Transforming Discipleship Podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com. It's a podcast designed for church leaders desiring to make disciples for Jesus Christ in the world. I'm your host, Pastor Oliver Hersey, and today we have the opportunity to talk to Sean Brakey, a father, a husband, and a pastor serving with We Are Church in San Francisco, California. Sean is also serving as the director for Crazy Love Ministries and has extensive experience training and equipping church leaders with content teaching plans, videos, and various curricula. He is a good, great follower of Jesus that we are getting to know, and we are very excited to have him on board with us. He's a friend of Francis Chan, and Sean, we are honored and privileged to have you joining us on the Transforming Discipleship Podcast. Welcome. How are you today? (laughs) Thanks, Oliver. Yeah, I'm doing good. We're uh, fighting the smoke a little bit in California, but we're uh, breathing some fresh air right now, which is great. You are. Yeah. So I've been following that. So for those listening to this episode, this is being recorded during the times where we've had a lot of fire happening. The couple fires combined, right, up in California. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's it's a mess. And San Francisco is unscathed by the fire, but you guys are kind of in a haze of smoke, right? Yeah. It kind of depends on which way the wind is blowing, but yeah, it's been, it's been pretty good the last few days, but it's kind of been some interesting uh, situations of staying inside and, you know, trying to clean the air and, and things like that. Yeah. As if COVID wasn't hard enough. Let's just try to like add one more thing into the mix. Right. Exactly. You can't go like inside with anybody, right? Because of COVID. And you can't go outside because of the smoke, so you just have to stay in your house. So you're, you're like all in like little tents, like little exactly. huts all by yourself. Right. Oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry you guys are going through that. That is really tough. Is there an end in sight, you think? Yeah, well, yeah, hopefully rain in the next few weeks will do it. But it, it hasn't been too bad over the last week or so. And so it's, you know, we, we manage. Okay. Well, I was I was getting a chance to do a little stalking on you, and I found out you are a math major, and so that was very exciting because that is to my background, and so we were able to talk about that a little bit. I feel like I have a kindred spirit to you. I have a math teacher who's also a pastor. So <laughs> how it's I just just random, but how has math shaped you as a pastor? Like how has that affected the way you think about ministry? Yeah, it's interesting. I would say yeah, it, it really lends towards logic and reason. I think back on some college math classes where you have to make a proof. So you take something that you know to be true 
And you have to follow that line of thinking all the way to prove something else to be true that you don't currently know is true. And each step of the way, you have to like string it together. And if you make one misstep, you get the whole question wrong, right? So the professor is like, nope, you get no credit on that because you missed this one piece. And so I think logic and reasoning is a huge piece for me when it comes to like trying to look at you know, faith and scripture through like, kind of, Hey, like, let's, let's think through this thing. Um, let's not like, I don't just believe in Jesus because I grew up in that or because it feels good, but I believe in Jesus because I, I believe it to be true. And I believe there's very compelling reasons, both in my experience, but also historically and in the scriptures that this is all like for real. I love it. And I can resonate with that. I've sensed the same types of things happening in my own ministry. And one of the things that I really want to explore with you is, you know, what is church? I think you guys over in your area and your ministries are doing some really neat things. And I want to talk with you a little bit today about what is church and how might we need to take some time ourselves just to rethink what church looks like, especially maybe in light of COVID-19 and maybe what COVID-19 is forcing us to do. So let's let's start first with just what you do. You're you're an elder and a pastor for something called We Are Church. Can you talk a little bit about what these roles entail? Maybe even share a little bit about what We Are Church is all about. You know, a little bit to the question of like, what is church? A bit of my experience, you know, I've worked at a church for three years in Ohio as a youth and college pastor. I've, I've kind of been in the church world and I was getting to a point maybe eight, nine years ago where Although I wouldn't say it like this, I, I partly what was in my mind was forget church. Like we need to be out making disciples, caring for the poor. Like we need to be out like doing the work of ministry. But I didn't have an understanding of how that connected with church. Because in my mind, church was a Sunday morning service, 1030 to 12, a sermon and some songs. And it just was like, I don't get why this is so important. And so we were in the inner city of San Francisco Francis and some others, and just going through knocking on doors, building relationships with very broken people in San Francisco. And as we're building these relationships and sharing Jesus, I'm realizing, man, these people are so broken. They need to be able to come into a healthy community of believers and be discipled and care for it and trained in the faith. And it was this light bulb, like, wait a minute, that's the church. We need the church, but it's actually far more than I ever realized. It's a family. It's a community. It's it's life together. It's something far more beautiful than just like a, a service on Sunday, which can be a piece of church, right? But the church is so much bigger. And so that's the idea with We Are Church is that we are the church. It's not about Sunday. It's about like life together. It's, it's we're a community. We're a family who loves yeah. each other. That's so good. I just want to reiterate what you just said. It, it's about family. It's about relationships. And I think you said it's about life together. And I think we think we're doing life together a lot of times in our corporate, standardized, sterilized Sunday morning, 1030 to noon services, like you said. And maybe some people are are finding ways to do life together. But, but you're saying sometimes we miss out on a lot when we are stuck in that kind of rut and there's a lot more that is is involved with becoming church uh, would you am i capturing what you're saying yeah you think of it like your nuclear family i mean 
if I were to tell you, hey, I, I'm a dad and I really am passionate about raising my kids. I love my kids. I love them so much that we meet together once a week for an hour and a half and then I go live somewhere else. And then I come back the following week and meet with them for an hour and a half. And like, that doesn't make any sense. Like yeah. we're a family, so we're, we're together a lot. Now, of course, you know, there's you know, a little bit more limitations when you're talking about people outside of your extended family. But the goal is we want to be around each other a lot. We want to be in deep relationship. We want to be really know what's going on in each other's lives, be challenging each other in our walks with the Lord. Like, unfortunately, in the church today, it can be so common that people are putting a, up a, a face of, hey, I'm a strong Christian. But then when you really get into things, you go, whoa, there's some deep issues. And so almost it's easier sometimes in the church to just go, okay, well, let's Let's not do that because that gets messy. Yeah. And well, somewhere down the line, I think we were told, probably not intentionally, but we were told by our peers, by our elders, that that's what we need to look like. We need to look like it's all put together, it's buttoned up, and we were never given permission. Somewhere down the line, permission was, was stopped being granted to us to be broken, messed up people who gather together in homes around the Eucharist and to worship the Lord and allow Him to fix and redeem and restore and bring about some true healing in our lives. And we've missed that. It sounds like you guys are trying to reclaim some of this. You know, we're not really doing anything super creative. If anything, <laughs> it's really just a simplifying, right? I think, yeah. you know, me and Rob, what we call our church intensive, which is like a training for leaders that we've been, been meeting with leaders, pastors for almost four years, just about every week. And one of the things we say is, look, I mean, we're no experts at the church. We haven't figured things out. We're not like super smart people. It's just more looking at scripture and going, man, it seems pretty clear what God wants of us. I mean, of course, there's like nuances, but there are things in scripture that are so obviously clear, like our love for one another, like making disciples, like everybody using their gifts, that somehow we've managed to neglect in the church. But in the meantime, we've made the church so complicated. We have so many different things going on. We're so busy in the church, and yet we kind of forget, oh, shoot, we're not loving each other deeply. It's like, well, that's commanded over 50 times in the New Testament. So maybe it would help us to simplify things. So when we come together for our gatherings, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's it's similar to what a lot of people would experience in a small group or a community group. Hmm. But I just say a lot more intentional and a lot yeah. more like focus on that, like life together outside of that. So I got a lot of questions in my head right now based on what you're saying, but let's start here. You know, you have some core practices uh, that are part of We Are Church. You know, could you share those with us? Yeah, so we have six practices. The first practices were devoted to reading scripture, which I think every church wants to be. But uh, the practical aspect of that is that we're on a Bible reading plan as a church. And so really the uh, maybe one of the ways that we're approaching things a little bit different is that instead of um, what you would typically find in a in a church today is the sermon, the Sunday sermon being the kind of the centerpiece of teaching in the life of the church, we want the reading plan to be the centerpiece of teaching in the life of the church. And so every believer is responsible to read the Bible every day. And I would say we have a very high percentage of people who are consistently in the Word every day. And then when we come together, we're really dialoguing around the word and the pastor is kind of guiding discussion around the teaching for the week, which was the reading plan. Um, so that's a piece for us. So there is a pastor for each of these churches, uh -huh. a designated pastor, and, and are you, are you are one of them? Yep. And, and so you serve almost as a facilitator and a guide, a tour guide almost through the text. 
Yeah, once a month we get our, our house churches together at the park and we'll typically have a sermon from one of the elders. Yeah, so it is more of a, it's a facilitating with with an element of authority that would not be in place in a lot of small groups. There's a, a responsibility to shepherd and guide and correct and lead, but good. I, you know, we don't want people to become overly dependent on the pastor to just explain everything, right? I think that's kind of some of the mistakes we made historically in Christianity is where we get into a place where we assume that there is a select few people who are really smart and have been trained who can really understand the Bible. And those people then need to explain it to the masses because the masses can't really understand this book. Yeah. And I think sometimes if we aren't careful in the church, we can slip into that. We wouldn't say it, but we can almost slip into a culture where people aren't consistently reading the word for themselves. They're just really coming and getting sermons and that's kind of their consumer, way to right? It's the a Bible. Cons- becomes a consumeristic culture. So you're giving me the core values. You got reading scripture. Everybody's reading scripture. Mm-hmm. What was the second one? And these are our practices. We also have values, but yeah, our practices. Yeah, practices. Yeah, that's okay. The second would be we meet in homes. So that's you know part of the simplicity we're talking about. Reproducibility. Oftentimes, if you're going to plan a church, you got to raise a ton of money, and really only a select few people could do that. But when you're talking about starting a church in your home. Really, anybody can do that. Anybody who's godly enough and qualifies biblically can lead a church out of their home. They, they don't have to you know, ha- be able to raise enough money to get a building and staff it and stuff like that. All the, all the complexities that come with that. So there's, you know, we love churches that have church buildings. We're not against that. We don't think that home church is like the way to do it, but we just want to really communicate. We feel like that is a legitimate way to do it, and it could be helpful in some ways. Because it really forces you into an intimacy that you may lose in a more sterilized building of brick and mortar, right. uh, where there aren't couches to sit around. There's there's pews or chairs wired together. Like it's a very different setting. So we have many small groups at our church, and I think the small groups are important, very important for exactly what you've just said. And they need, you know, when they meet in homes. Those are the ones that tend to seem to thrive in a way that the others don't necessarily, you have to really work harder in the others to make that intimate mm-hmm. thriving happen. So you got those two, what else? Get, give, me, give me some more. Yeah, so we have everyone discipled and disciples. This is huge for us. You know, some of our practices are not commanded in scripture. Like a reading plan, that's, that doesn't have to be that way. And meeting in homes, like that's not like how it has to be biblically, but everybody engaged in deep discipleship relationship, like transparent, loving, confessing sin relationships, that everybody in the church would be engaged in those sort of relationships. That's like super clear biblically. There's no getting around that. And so we have to be committed to this. And so we're tasking each pastor of each church, like make sure that every person in your body, and so it's maybe 10, 15 people, is in a committed discipleship relationship or a couple where they are, again, that's like, taking responsibility for this person's care and a commitment level where if that person's going through something, I know what's going on. Like I'm walking with them through it. Like, and we want to make sure everybody in our church is in that sort of relationship. And that also everybody feels the responsibility to go out and make disciples. This sounds like such a core component. I know you have these six cores, but this sounds like one of the main ones. And you've expressed just now why it's so critical. It's from Scripture. We read it in the Scriptures about the value of being discipled and making disciples. You know, our church right now is trying to wrestle with it. So I actually, I'm very curious to learn from you. You know, is, is there a, 
a method that you have found that is tried and true? Is there a curriculum, for lack of a better word, that you have found that is tried and true? Is there is it more organic, and does it just need to have some key ingredients uh, that are consistently there? And you mentioned maybe some of those, like confession or accountability or or vulnerability or things like that. Like what is it that helps you disciple someone else and then also be discipled by someone? It's tough. I mean, I, I think it starts with leadership. I think when Francis started the church, that was that's so central to who he is and how he lives. And, you know, though a lot of people are really exposed to his ministry of like preaching and teaching, behind the scenes, he like he's really committed to the things he communicates. So he's investing in people. He's teaching people how to disciple others. And so within the culture of the leadership of We Are Churches, like we all make disciples, like we all care about investing in a few and and that we kind of hold the line on that in our churches. And so, for example, if somebody's coming into the church, let's say somebody moves to the area, this happened several times with my church, they moved to the area, they're wanting to kind of get a feel for We Are Church. I'll just sit down with them and say like, hey, let me explain to you what we're about. And one of the things that's non-negotiable is that we're going to be in discipleship relationship. And so each house church will maybe take a little bit of a different approach on how that looks. My church, we have discipleship groups. So like I just met up with three of my guys last night outside and we meet up weekly just to kind of talk about what's going on in our lives. And so it's just known within my church that you're a part of one of those. And if you aren't, you're undermining the culture. And then there's going to be conversations around that because it's it's just the expectation. You can't be a part of We Are Church if you aren't open to like this sort of depth of relationship. So it's really like a holding the line and then as leaders being committed to it ourselves. What you're saying makes so much sense. It's from the leadership down and it's a culture that you create, right? And you create it with your whole, you know, your leadership top down. Now, let me ask you this though. What about the church that I'm a part of and say I'm pastoring this church and I'm hearing what you're saying, Sean, and it is compelling and I want it, but I'm far from it right now because we've been going decades, maybe a century, and it hasn't been that way. We haven't had that as part of our culture. Maybe it exists here and there, but it doesn't exist culturally. How would we go about trying to build a culture into a culture that already exists that might be a bit resistant to it? Yeah, it's it's tough. It's a really good question and it's a tough one. And I think I would preface because because like I mentioned, we've we've worked with a lot of pastors who have you know come through the church intensive training and they go back and they try to make changes. And one of the things that we've seen over and over again that has caused us to give this advice is we have to be ready, as heartbreaking as it is, to see people walk away. Because the reality is, if we've developed a culture over decades where people don't need to be obeying clear commands in Scripture, like confessing sins, like bearing with one another, forgiving one another, making your love increase and overflow for one another, if that hasn't been the expectation, and now all of a sudden we say, hey, this is expected, this is a non-negotiable, the reality is, I mean, in most church contexts, there's probably going to be at least a few, if not a lot of people that go, you know what, I don't want to do that. And so how do you navigate that? You know, if you're that pastor, if I'm this pastor that wants to do this, you're basically challenging me to get to a place of I'm okay if a lot of people decide to walk away from my community. 
And I know for many listening and many pastors, small group, that can be a daunting feeling because you know how operational budgets work and all this stuff. But maybe we also then have to rethink some of that. And a lot of things get rethought through this, but you're really challenging us scripturally. Jesus was about making disciples and being in intimate, honest, open relationships with people. And uh, if we're going to go down that road and there's going to be some hemorrhaging that happens, that might just be how it goes. And if we remember, I mean, Sean, you know this, I'm not, I'm not saying anything new to you, but Jesus often had people walking away from him, exactly, right? right? And he invited them into like yeah. intimate vulnerability and he, they would just say, you know, I, I can't, I, I can't, I'm not ready. And I think yeah. there's a lot to that. And so take comfort in it if you're listening and you're thinking about doing something like this, that there might be some loss. I know that that's happened in some contexts that I have been a part of and it can be frustrating and hard, sure. but but the mission's important and there's beauty in it. Yeah, you look at, you know, one of those situations that you're referencing in John 6, like there's thousands of people and they're like, John's basically summarizing their sentiment towards Jesus as saying they're communicating, this is the prophet who is to come. These people are so excited about Jesus to the extent that like when he leaves, they go searching over the water to find him. (laughs) And yet, when he really starts like, telling them, look, I'm not going to just keep giving you food. I'm actually the food. And here's what it's like to follow me. And do you really understand? You know, he's laying it out and then they're all offended and they walk away. And of course, you know, it has has partly to do with the whole like, eat my body, drink my blood comment, right? (laughs) Right. But there's also this element of he wasn't going to cater to the masses to keep them. And he was calling them to true like, that the spirit is doing a work in them to call them into discipleship. And and so few stayed. And right. that is, we are, we are so afraid of that. And it's interesting, as you mentioned, Oliver, I, I think that is the thing as leaders, we really got to evaluate because sometimes we've defined success in a way that I don't think is biblical oftentimes in the church in numbers and like finances. And then oftentimes right. if we really start thinking about pressing in on some of these things, one of our concerns and hesitations comes down into like financials and that's scary, right? Cause then it's like, okay, wait a minute. Are we making decisions in the church based on financial decisions and pressures? And I think you're right on that. Okay. If that is the case, wow. Okay. We need to rethink some of these structures and the complexities that we've created where it's so financially demanding. Cause for us at we are church, we have no paid staff. We have no buildings. We don't think that's how it needs to be, but we have zero operating budget. Again, it's not like we think we're better because of that or that we think that all churches need to be like that, but just more, it was a little bit more of like a, could we do this? Let's see if we could just to like give some hope to people that feel like they're constrained by finances. And I think there's a lot of people in this world, especially in 2020, uh, who are going to probably feel more comfortable showing up to a living room, a gathering in a home than they would in a polished, nice looking brand new building of some sort. And so there's value in that too. You might reach people that uh, that people like myself are in a church right now with a building, a brick and mortar building that maybe are gonna have trouble reaching because they'd never set foot in our door for reasons X, Y, Z, and A, B, C. So I think there's a lot to that. You know, so we, we've gotten through a few of the core values. I wanna get us back to that. So give us some more of these core practices. I think we're on four now. Yes. So yeah, four is everybody uses their gifts. Okay. So we believe this to be very 
clear in scripture that we're called to this. You know, First Corinthians 12 is a text that stands out as significant that like to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good and that the body is intended to function where everybody's contributing. Ephesians 4 is another passage and, yeah. and others. So I guess biblically that should be present in every church that we would have a culture where we understand everybody is contributing a spiritual gift, not just like volunteering in some way, but that they're truly being empowered and used through the spirit to contribute a gift. And so for us practically, in a way, this doesn't have to be how other churches do it. That's one of the reasons that we like our gatherings to be more like a potluck. So then one of the ways that I've thought of it is, you know, oftentimes people are thinking about church more like a restaurant where you come in and you're intending to like put some money down and then you receive a really well, you know, prepared thing to consume as opposed to a potluck where you are preparing something, you are responsible to bring a dish and then everybody benefits from the sharing of those dishes. And so in our gatherings, it's very participatory. It's very expecting people to pray and, you know, bring what the Lord was teaching them and to contribute to maybe be hearing from the voice of God, a prophetic word, things of that nature. It's so simple. Let's bring the potluck back. (laughs) So good. It's so good. And I love that analogy. That's a really helpful one. And I think I think there's a lot of truth to that. And Jesus invites us to participate, to be connected and to leverage our giftings. And and I guess the question for you, Sean, is like, you know, how do you guys help people figure out how they've been gifted? Yeah. When I think of scripture, I see the gifts consistently meshed in with conversation about love, right? So 1 Corinthians and Ephesians 4 and, and in Romans 12, you see Paul writing about the gifts and also writing about love. Like there's this kind of back and forth. And so it, it seems clear to us that if you are not pursuing deep love with other believers, you're not going to be operating in your gifts in a meaningful way because that's, that's the whole point of the gifts, right? So why would, why would you have the gifts and how would you understand your gifts if you aren't pursuing the very way in which they're supposed to be executed, which is in the context of loving other believers. And so I think as you commit to loving other believers in deep relationship, the gifts that you have are just going to flow out. I mean, if, if Oliver, you were to say to me, Hey, I'm really struggling. I'm going through something. And and I'm like, man, I really love you, Oliver. I'm probably going to be like, Hey, Oliver, it makes me think of a scripture that I want to share with you and explain because I feel like I have a gift for teaching. And so all of a sudden it's just like, I can't like not almost because I see that you're struggling. And so then I think for the leaders in our church, it's, it's about really like seeing those things, encouraging those, fanning them to flame. But you know, it's, it starts with love. Everybody's using their gift. And then I think we're on five. Is it? Yep. I might miss the count, but go ahead. Yeah, no, you got it. So you are a math major. You're, you're killing yeah. it. <laughs> I'm killing it. I can count. That's one thing I learned how to do, Sean. I learned how to yeah. count. <laughs> That's good. So five is regular multiplication of churches. Now, again, this is one of those things that the way we approach multiplication, we don't believe that's how it has to be done. We don't see that laid out in scripture like, hey, here's, as the church grows, here's what you need to do. But for us, we kind of go, okay, there are decisions that we need to make as the church grows. Are you going to allow it to get bigger and bigger and bigger? Or do you have some sort of mechanism to keep it what I, what I would call healthily small? where that intimacy and everybody using their gifts and discipleship can really flourish, you have to have some sort of strategy to figure out how do you keep it small as people are added into the church. And so 
you can go two routes. You can allow the church to get bigger and bigger and bigger and then have a, in an additional small context, right, that has a vision for multiplication. Or, but for us, we've chosen that really like the churches themselves would multiply. Mm. Uh, and so as a church gets to 15 or 20 or so, uh, our goal is to have been raising up a, another pastor, what we call yeah. a pastor in training, yeah. to be ready to take half of the group, then start meeting in another home and go that direction. And again, that has to be part of a culture you build. I'm thinking right now, uh, you know, when I, when I stepped on board in my current role, you inherit a lot of small groups. And what I keep hearing as I continue to challenge, like, let's multiply your group's 20. Let's split that in two. You know, I got, you've been shepherding these other leaders and let's let them. But I keep hearing, well, we just love being together. We love being together. And so you're constantly fighting that battle. And so it takes a lot of work to try to build it into the culture where people get it like, oh, this is not about me. Mm. Right. So, I mean, how do you how have you done that? You, you know, you want to communicate from the beginning what this is about, but you do have to constantly cast vision. Like, I think the way you're putting it is very similar to how we would put it. Right. This is about the mission. And reminding ourselves, like, look, Jesus called people to come and die, right? Like, he called them to pick up their cross. He, he called them to leave their families behind. We, we have to, like, recognize biblically that, like, this is not something that's foreign to the Christian life. It's not something that should surprise us that Jesus at points would call us to make decisions in light of the mission that are relationally difficult. Is the goal really to just kind of like hang out together until we die or until Jesus comes back? Like, or do we, we have to make room for new believers. So, I mean, that's kind of how I framed it to my church is like, let's think through this logically, right? Here, math degree, right? Either we're going to just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and we're going to be looking back and remembering the days when, oh man, remember when we were 12 people? Remember when we were 15? It, it's different now that we're 50, right? Either we're going to go that direction or... We just need to not share the gospel and not have anybody join, or we have to multiply. There's no other way around it. So help people see the value of the small gathering. Mm -hmm. And I think even as I reflect, I've been around very small groups, and it's almost like they pride themselves on how big it's gotten. Mm. And I think that that's probably a cultural thing that's trickled down from the church, right? We pride ourselves on the number of people um, in the seats in a given week. And uh, it becomes that becomes countercultural to what we're talking about here. Mm. And so, how can we expect a small group to be willing to multiply when our own church has been setting the precedent of bigger, bigger, bigger? Mm. Uh, and and so that's that's what you're fighting against. You know, Francis Chan wrote a book, Multiply, right? I mean, he's he's getting after this in that work. Is that still something that people in your communities are looking at? And is that I know it's a little bit of an older resource, but is that a resource that people are? still finding helpful and valuable today? I think sometimes, <laughs> but if, to be honest, we don't use it too much. Okay. Uh, but I think Francis is okay with that as well. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got some new stuff now. I mean, he's got the book now, The Letters to the Church, I saw. What does that have to say to us today? Yeah, I mean, Letters to the Church has been a really helpful resource to really cast vision for what like what we're talking about so if if you're listening to this and you're like man i want to like wrestle through this more i want to understand the heart of this you know letters to the church isn't really like about house church or about how we're doing things it's more about what's plainly obvious biblically 
you know, almost the picture of like, if God were to be writing to the church today, like he does in Revelation, what are the like clear and obvious things biblically that we are neglecting? And so it's getting into some of these things like the one another's, like the lost art of like service and sacrifice. And, you know, there's that vision casting there. And then, you know, there's a study guide and a video guide that goes with it that I think could be really helpful for small groups to go through and just really like analyze where are we at and are we like pursuing biblical Christianity or, or have we settled for something less? This episode of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast has been brought to you by smallgroups.com. It's a ministry of Christianity Today. And again, I'm your host, Oliver Hersey. I pastor in the Chicago area currently, and we just want to thank all the ministry leaders who have tuned in to this episode. If you are finding this podcast helpful for your ministry, we ask if you do three things for us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can see nice video content of Sean and I. Uh, and give us a five-star rating on iTunes, but only if you really mean it. And then also subscribe to smallgroups.com today to find plenty of resources. The podcast is available on Amazon Podcasts and on your Amazon Alexa device and on other podcast platforms as well. If you want full access to smallgroups.com, you can subscribe today. There are various plans that can meet your budget, and we are going to give you access to hundreds of Bible studies all kinds of tools to train and equip your small group leaders and much more. Also, for those of you who would like to get in touch with us, we now have an email address, discipleship at smallgroups.com. Until next time, friends, God bless. God bless.